Hello, everybody. My name is Michael Gunger. Welcome to the Liturgist Podcast. This is the beginning of Season 8. And liturgy, for those who are just joining us, if you're wondering what the liturgists means, liturgy is a word that is usually used within certain types of religious spaces. But the word literally just means the work of the people. Liturgy is essentially the structure and form that people use to come together and share experiences together. So for us, a liturgist is simply a person involved in the formation of any sort of communal, spiritual, or life-enriching practice or technology, as we like to say. And this season of the Liturgist Podcast, we will be seeking out conversations with liturgists from all sorts of different fields and philosophies who are working in one way or another to create more love and less suffering in the world. In this first episode, I'll be speaking with Derek Webb, an artist, entrepreneur, and fellow Enneagram 5, who's always sought to use his work to help us ask the big questions without fear or shame. Hope you enjoy it. man <laughs> i'm good i'm really good it's really good to talk to you i don't know i don't know that we've done this before no we haven't we we, we, met. we have chatted but i don't know that we've ever recorded ourselves talking to each other before yeah what do we we met in nashville what like 2010 or something probably that sounds right yeah and we and bumped into, into each other a few times over the years and always had Lovely conversations, and and you're obviously like for most people completely fascinating from afar. But we have not managed to do this much, and so I'm super thrilled to get to talk to you. Yeah, same man. Um, we've rolled in similar circles, I know, we do. but we're like always close in our orbits. But <laughs> it's nice to actually finally land. I'm curious that we're wired very differently, and I think that's what ma- we're 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 doing similar things in extremely different ways, and that's one of the things. Yeah, that, one of the reasons I've been fascinated to chat. Yeah. All right, so let's first just give everybody a little Derek Webb schooling of like where you came from, what's what's yeah. what's the deal, why are we talking, why have yeah. we orbited? Can you just give yes. us a, a little cliff notes of your your story, what brought you to this point so far? Well, yeah, so I'm a musician. I've I've made my living as a musician for about 20 years and started off in a Texas uh folk rock ensemble uh, called Cademan's Call. We founded that band in Houston. Um, I did that for about 10 years until the early 2000s. And then since then to now, I've uh, written solo music, um, which is what I'm still doing. I do other things, but it's all very music-centric stuff. And um, I have been, like yourself, very preoccupied for all of my creative time, all the songs I've written, all the time I've spent doing this, uh, preoccupied with spiritual things, with the invisible, unknowable things, invisible like God, unknowable like the future, um, fascinated with and preoccupied with those things and always seem to come back to it and write about it, even though about five or six or seven years ago, um, um, found myself kind of not identifying or resonating with it in a way that I would want to put that category, the category of like evangelical or Christian on myself anymore, but, um, still absolutely invested in it and, and preoccupied with it and, uh, in my work and my personal life. Um, and, uh, so I think music is probably the thing though, that has been, that has pulled you and I kind of close together and our, and our general preoccupation with spiritual things. And, um, the fact that I am, 
wired in a, I'm, I'm a very contrary type. And so yeah. I always love, and I've been that way since I was a kid. And, and, um, it was terrible for me growing up because it, it had me questioning all kinds of authority, but it, as I've learned to use my powers for good in my, uh, for the most part in my adulthood, um, it has served to help me to write my way into complicated areas that not a lot of, uh, musicians and songwriters like to go in. And, um, Mm -hmm. there's not a bunch there's, and you can literally count them on just a a hand or two. And, but I definitely put you squarely in that category. Um, Dave Bazan, who I'm sure is a pal of yours is in that category. There's not a whole bunch of folks, um, who are writing soundtrack for really complicated seasons of life. And, um, and, and, uh, God knows it doesn't really sell records, but, um, (laughs) but I don't know what else to do. I, I look at the world and I describe it and that's the job, you know? Yeah. Um, yes, I that's felt, it. I, I felt bad for you when I, I opened your stuff on Spotify um, just to see what's been, what else has been going on. And it's, I immediately had empathy for you seeing <laughs> that the first, it's all like 2003. You right. can't, you have to say, see all albums to see the new right. stuff. Right. Right. Which is frustrating as an artist, right? right? Like you put out stuff and if it's not bigger than the stuff you did 20 years ago. Right. You can't even find it yeah. unless you like stuff. dig into. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm sure you're, a, you're, I'm sure you're a victim of that too. I mean, the, the Cademan stuff and then my early solo material, um, is the stuff that has the most listens. And if you go and look, and this is honestly what bugs me and it's, I'm sure it's an ego thing, but when you go and look at like other artists who are associated with this artist or whatever, it's, it's oh, it, man. for me, <laughs> that, that algorithm is moving painfully slow. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. So I, it's yeah, <laughs> right? yeah. I I, oh, it's tough. I tried to escape the algorithm uh, for a long time. I can't imagine how hard it must be for you because you you I, pivot I, hard and fast. You know, you I do. do. You yeah. So I did a I did like an embodiment dance record right before the pandemic. Yes. Under, under a new name, trying to shake the algorithms. Yep. Oh, um, that was that's that's actually pretty genius. I'd not uh, thought. Well, of that but it didn't work. Angle. It didn't. It oh. didn't work. Like it's still, I mean, it's songs to like Shiva and it's, there's nothing about Jesus or anything. And it's like, if you like this embodiment dance song by Wei Wu, (laughs) you're going to love the new Hillsong record. Exactly. (laughs) What are we supposed to do? What are we supposed to do? Anyway. Yeah. Which just goes to show that technology, man, it's like, doesn't, I mean, I know that people try to spiritualize it. I know that people say, what is it? You know, that technology at a, at a certain, um, once it's operating a certain level, it becomes indistinguishable from mat from magic and, and even spirituality. But it's like, <laughs> that shit is so painfully slow. Like you can't, yeah, it's really hard. It's, it's because, and especially when you're actively trying, you're really trying to get into the nuances. You're trying to, uh, com- uh, complicate things to the, to the degree that is necessary for it to be meaningful for the, at least the people who are paying attention to you or, or maybe me and, and everything about the system or the device by which it's being presented to people is let, is not letting any of the nuance through. And it's so frustrating. Yeah. Anyway, I remember in, I, I, we did this uh, record called I am mountain in 2012, 13, I think 13. And, uh, one of the songs was about literally about like me letting go of my beliefs and letting go of the gods in the sky and letting go like, yeah. And, uh, and I remember 
this one guy talking about how it was the most profound worship song he'd ever heard. And I'm like, yeah, it's not a a worship song. It's funny. Now I look back and I guess I could see it's a worship of what is it's a, but I don't think that's what he meant. I just think he was like trying to squeeze it into this. Yeah, that's exactly right. That's exactly what I was going to say. And and it's about categories. It's about expectations. I'm a huge um, Bob Dylan fan. And one of the things I love that really impacted me that I saw of his pretty early on, it was very formative was the D.A. Pennerbaker documentary, Don't Look Back, which was about his second trip to the, to England after, uh, after Times Zero Change and had been a big hit for him. And so he was just being worshipped. I mean, it was just so intense and so... Um, and there's this great footage, this kind of fly-on-the-wall footage of him dealing with all these journalists and this... Uh, I forget who's... Maybe it's Time Magazine, I think. <clears throat> Somebody who he saw is very square, I would imagine, in the 60s. And... Um, they asked him this really loaded question about folk music and about his audience and about protest songs and about all this stuff had all these very clearly loaded terms in it. And he gave this amazing response about like, how, how, how do you, surely you don't expect me to answer a question like that. Like there's only way I could, the only way I could answer a question like that is if we literally took the time, which I know you don't have and have no intention of doing (laughs) going through and literally defining for me every single term and word (laughs) in that question. Exactly. you know what I'm saying? Because otherwise, I have no idea what I'm communicating to you. I don't know what you mean by, what do you mean? What are protest songs? What's a folk singer? What's my, right. who's my audience? What are you talking yeah. about? Because yeah. unless we define that stuff, we don't need, have no idea if we're talking about the same thing. We're likely and, not. And we're likely not. Thing. But for that, for that gentleman, you know, he has these particular categories. And for you, here, here's this thing, here's this new thing you're doing and it's coming in. And he's trying, and he, Maybe there's not a lot of complexity in his categories, and that's okay. I've had long seasons in my life when I didn't have necessary complexity to my categories. I'm sure you mm-hmm. do too. And so you do, you, so you do have yeah. to cram them into boxes. We know how that works. And so that's what he was doing. He was trying to express to you that w- what you had made was meaningful to him. Yeah. Um, but, it, you know, it's, and, and I, I've got this theory, and I would love to hear what you think about it, that, that arguably everything is a Rorschach. Everything, literally. Yeah. Maybe yeah. there's no fixed meaning in anything. Right. Um, and I, it's a thing that I've been thinking about a lot for a long time, but it's like, I make a thing and it has a meaning for me in the moment that I make it. But then almost immediately as I, if, if I, I mentioned before, and I, it's my, the language I like about the job description for a creative to be to look at the world and describe it. And so as I do that, even weeks later, literally weeks later, but definitely months, years, decades later, I'm going to stand in a place, look at a thing, and I'm going to see a different thing. I'm going to be a different person observing it. I'm not going to describe it the same way. And yeah. so those, those variables, those are moving targets all the time. And so um, I, I can't tell somebody what my songs mean. I can tell you what they meant to me when I wrote them. Right. But then they cease to mean that almost immediately. Yeah. And, and then after that, they're kind of everybody's including mine. But I'm assigning meaning to them in real time when I'm performing them. Yeah. I assign meaning to them in real time when I happen to hear them. And yeah. that's exactly the same relationship that anybody in an audience would have to those same songs. So it's like, I can't say that there's fixed meaning in any of that stuff. I think it's always a Rorschach and all of us are always looking at it mm. and saying more about ourselves than we're ever saying about it in our response to it. Because, um, you know, I... I the other thing that goes with this, the piece, the language I like that goes with it is that maybe there's no such thing as um, objective criticism. There's only unintentional confession. Hmm. So 
I am only unintentionally mm-hmm. telling you all about myself when I talk about how I felt about something yeah. or, or, or my response yeah. to the new song that you put out. Yeah. Like I can tell you all about it, but what you know, cause you're the guy who makes this stuff. And, and I, th- I think creatives know this and people who dabble in creative, I think know this, but may, some people maybe don't is that you wind up with kind of a, a kind of a, a, a one man as a one man audience behind one side of a two way glass. Yeah. People have no idea what they're revealing and confessing to you right. in their responses to what you make. Yeah. If what you make is a Rorschach with no fixed meaning, then people are just all day long telling you all about themselves unintentionally. And especially in outrage is where people reveal so much. And I have found that to be fascinating over the years. Hmm. Um, anyways, I'm sure you've seen a lot, a, mo- a lot more of that than I have. Oh, no. I mean, I love all of that. That's brilliant. And I think that there's something about Christian music in particular that while it, um, you know... I wonder if that aspect of art is part mm-hmm. of why Christian art can be so difficult um, to create or even even people's perception of what it is. Mm. It seems like there's a discomfort yeah. with ambiguous meaning or with um, subject subjectivity yes. in the experience because it seems like kind of the entire point of labeling an art form based on its lyrical content as opposed to its sound yeah. is to try to fix some sort of meaning That's exactly and try right. to try to fix some sort of anchor that I can find I, my identity can feel secure with this. It, it yes. becomes pro- propaganda in a way. It's yes. just like propaganda for the, for yeah. the party. I lo- yeah. As you were saying it, I was like, yeah, I, it was, it was hitting me and because you're, you're totally right. You're taking a thing that if, I mean, obviously we're hypothesizing, who knows if any of this is true, but it's the way it feels to me and, and, uh, language I've carried with me for a while that I like and, and seems to ring true, uh, the more I use it. But if it's true that the things we make and we've both made what we even thought at the time was Christian music was, was the thing with the fixed meaning about the thing with the fixed meaning. And so Hmm. even, but even that, if, if what we're saying is, maybe there isn't any fixed meaning to it. And mm-hmm. I think practically that's hard to argue with um, in a practical sense. It's hard. Right. To argue. Yeah. And if that's true, what a conundrum you've, we've created or that, that artists create when they claim to make art that is about something unchanging and about something. <laughs> you see, it's, I mean, it's exactly what I was thinking as you're talking is like, and you said it perfectly. And that's why I was like the Cheshire cat, but like, yeah, like what a weird space that's been created, the, the yeah. whole kind of Christian music space, which is the only music genre, go check it on Spotify, that is categorized by by the worldview of the person who created it, <laughs> not by the style or content, really, but by the yeah. intentions or something. Uh, the, yeah. the, the, the world, the opinions about invisible, unknowable things of the people who wrote it, that's how we're going to categorize. That makes no sense. Um, that's why Christian music festivals make no sense. That's That's how you wind up having like a, a male contemporary singer singing your tracks, followed by a ska band, followed by a boy band, followed by a screamo band. I've literally right. played on those stages. Yeah. That's how little sense it makes. Um, that's, that's Christian music for you. But uh, it's a yeah. fascinating idea. Like, no wonder it's so problematic. Because we're trying to take something that cannot possibly be fixed in its meaning, art, and make it about something that we're claiming is completely fixed in its meaning, God. And no wonder it's so weird and doesn't work. Uh, yeah, it's, we're like I not, never really thought about it till you said it. It's anyway. not allowed to be art. 
That's exactly right. Uh, That's good, dude. As soon as it's out. I really, really love that. Yeah. It's out. And it's interesting that people from, what is the line? That's still kind of a conundrum to me of like, what is the line when people put you there? Because there's a, it really is like a, like a scarlet letter or something like, Oh, yeah. Christian musician. There you go. Like, I, because you can sing about God. You can sing. How great is our God? If you're chance, the rapper, that's you exactly can sing. Right. How great is our God? Yeah. And nobody's like Christian musician. Nope. Why? I, okay. I think <laughs> now, and maybe, maybe that's a rhetorical question and we don't know. I don't, we haven't done this enough for me to know when you're asking rhetorical questions, but I like to try to answer them. Answer and my, them. An, my answer would be that, um, I think what I know from my experiences when I was younger, and we were starting Cademans, and we were an indie band, and we didn't know, we weren't thinking through these kind of categories. We weren't, because what it comes down to is marketing. It's marketing. And so uh, that's what categories are, are, are mm-hmm. used for. That's what they're helpful for. Um, and the other, uh, uh, some other language I've used a lot over the years, um, but again, I find helpful, so I say it a lot, is that the, the term Christian when applied to anything other than a human being is a marketing term. Um, uh, and, and, and that's for people who know the code language. I mean, for anybody yeah. else, it's fair game, but, um, you know, and so what happens is things get rubber stamped and who they get rubber stamped by are the people who are trying to commodify it. So when we were an indie band, we didn't have these problems. We were, um, spiritual. We were definitely church going. We, we grew up with, uh, evangelical Christian spirituality. That was, that was the grid through which we were looking at the world at that time it was definitely coming out in the fingerprints on the songs, uh, not necessarily in the style of what we were doing. We were trying to be the Indigo guys, I mean, in Cademans, basically. And because that's who we were emulating is that <laughs> feeling is yeah. what we were chasing. Like, mm-hmm. the, and, and honestly, it was that vulnerability is what we were chasing. The vulnerability yeah. of Emily Sallers and Amy Ray, specifically, if I'm going to call them out, I'm going to. And and they're still some of my absolute mentors and heroes of songwriting. But that's what we were trying to accomplish and then comes along, and it was a great thing for us at the time, but then comes along uh, Warner, who put us on an imprint label, a Christian imprint label, and who exclusively distributed out of their office to the kind of the Christian, uh, uh, you know, uh, stores and radio stations and, and what have you. And so they rubber stamped it. So that became the, and the reason that Chance can get away with it is because he transcends marketing category because he's chance. And so it's like, I think that there's a level on which you can do it hmm. where it, it's not necessary because no one's trying to figure out how to help you sell what you're selling. Right. Everything sells itself. You're selling, right. Interesting. Um, but when you're not at that level, you need all the help you can get. And so the guy, the people in the marketing department will come in. And honestly, I don't even fault the people at Warner. I think they probably looked at us. They squinted their eyes at it and they're like, well, it's, they, they, they tour a lot of colleges, they're college age. It's acoustic. None of these are strong enough yet. What, and they finally found their way to, oh, it's religious. It's Christian. There we go. Done. Send it down the Christian pipeline. And that's what happens. And once you, man, once the, the world receives you down that pipeline, yeah. they're not looking anywhere else for you. No. Nope. <laughs> no matter what you do, no matter how hard you try. Uh, it's crazy. Yeah. It's fascinating. It's uh, real. And I know that you, I know yeah. that, that you, uh, on your own with your band, I mean, I know that that's been... I mean, I, I've watched, you know, um, as you've, you know, kind of slalomed your way down through all, all of that. And it's just crazy how, um, hard it is to change the habits of consumers. That's really kind of what it comes down to. Yeah. Uh, it's tough, man, Hmm. but 
But the way that you're doing it, you're like, here we are having this conversation. You have patrons listening in, which I think is rad. I have a, a tremendous support system that I work, that I uh, use Patreon uh, for and to and um, to cultivate. And that's really how you do it. You literally have to do it a person at a time. You literally yeah. have to look out for and find a, create a mechanism by which people who most deeply resonate with and care about what you're doing can get close to you, close enough for you to explain it to them with a lot mm. more words than you can use <laughs> on social media. Yeah. And that's why it works. And that's why they're the ones who come close and they're, and they're the ones who stay close. And that's really kind of the secret, I think. That's the future, you know. Mm. Small, going small is the future. Yeah, wow. We'll be right back with that conversation. But just really quick, speaking of Patreon, just wanted to let you know about a couple things that are happening right now in the liturgist community. We've got meditations, we've got discussion groups, we have access to the live recordings of the podcast. We have some video content that's going to be coming available here soon of all the courses that we've made through the years. And it's all available at theliturgist.com. You just sign up to be a member of the community, pay whatever you want, whatever you can. And we just want you to be a part of this if it's meaningful to you. And we have these weekly Zoom calls called, called the Sunday thing. There's all kinds of stuff happening. So do check it out, theliturgist.com. We'd love to see you there. Okay, so I want to know about why why your music at least was so infused. It still is. Why, why, why are we so obsessed with singing about spirituality? Like, wh- mm. Why were you... Um, why does... Why do you keep bringing God into it? Right. (laughs) (laughs) Were you, were you raised? Yeah. Like your childhood and how was your spirituality and your music? um, Yeah. Combined. Like they were always intertwined, I think. Intertwined, yeah. And, and not intentionally until my, my late teens or early twenties. But so I grew up in the South, grew up in, in church. There was never a point at which I understood the world without the, the, that, filter that layer of spiritual understanding uh however i might have been explaining it at any given time i grew up you know united methodist or whatever um going to church and uh, my parents not even especially serious about it but definitely taking us christian school through sixth grade um going to chapel on fridays i I knew that i knew the the music i knew the language i knew the pitch um and it seemed absolutely believable absolutely it 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 uh, it didn't seem nuts to me growing up, and and part of that's because it had just always been there, and music was always there. So I found music luckily when I was really young, single digits, like six seven years old. Um, I was terrible at everything. I was terrible at school, academics, social, sports, name it, all of it. I was really met frustration everywhere, but music was easy and and it was available to me early my mom is a musician she was incredible uh pianist and um and so i got some talent in my in my blood from my family um which helped and always had that so these are things i i i can't remember really any i can't remember my life or reality without uh the idea of god and music so they were they, they were both really there from the beginning yeah and so I was always in church and you know how uh, church people tend to be, which is, oh, whatever, you have a talent, come and do it here. 
And if you're not doing it here, then why are you doing it? It's, it's, you're really, you know, what, what a tremendous waste of talent. If you're off doing it somewhere else, you should be using those gifts to, to, uh, you know, encourage and build up and grow the church. You should be doing it here. And why wouldn't you want to be using it for the Lord? And if you're not, why not? Um, and explain yourself. That seems to kind of be the line of questioning. And I didn't find luckily early on a place in the church for my, what I was doing musically. I was sitting, uh, in my, you know, my bedroom in Memphis, Tennessee, and eventually, and then eventually Houston, uh, with headphones on learning every song on like Van Halen one Hmm. and Van Halen two and diver down and, and fair warning. And I mean, I, 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 that's the music I love. That's, and I just obsessed on it mostly because it was just the only thing I had. It was like an act of desperation. Hmm. It's like nothing else worked for me. And it, honestly kept me out of a lot of trouble over the years because anything that disrupted the music thing for me had to go. It kept me from like drinking in high school. I mean, I had no morality to speak of in high school other than, other than chasing just right behind the music thing and how important that was to me. It was like my way out of the life that my parents imagined for me. Hmm. Um, so music was mine. Music was always mine. God's spirituality wasn't. It was a thing that was in, it was part of the, the, the grid through which I was looking at things, but I didn't understand it. I didn't own it. I didn't mm. articulate it until partway through high school, which is when I got pulled into Young Life, which is a mm. uh, high school parachurch ministry. Um, and honestly, it was speaking to, to things I was feeling. Like I, I, it represented like a, a, a room full of friends that I didn't have and an identity, a place, identity. So maybe there's a word we should put a, yeah. a, a flag on. But it's like it represented something and it seemed like a shortcut to get it, honestly. It's like, mm. oh God, well, I could. And I so I chased you know a girl to a Young Life camp and kind of accidentally got saved. But but also I, I felt like I knew what they were doing and I was playing along. I was like, oh, I, I get how this works. I understand. And so if I, if I put my hand, if I go down an aisle, I'm saying I had an experience. I don't know if I really had that experience, but I get what they're doing. And I know it would make them feel great if another mm. kid showed up up there. And it gets me into this thing that I really want in on, honestly. Like, this was a blast. And yeah. um, so I think it was at that point that a that um, a, a great young life leader, actually, a guy who I who was a was a real... Um, uh, intellectual and just a really tremendous, great guy. Um, but he intuited about me that music had to come if I was going to stay, he had to figure out a way to connect music to it. So he got me playing guitar at young life club and stuff. And so that really cinched it. And from there it was like, Oh, now I, now these things are married. And, and then I felt like I had music had to have the, the spirituality aspect to it mostly because What's more important than that? I remember all through my Cademan's years, like all, it was just kind of a joke. I only wrote songs about two things, God and girls. Those are the only things I wrote songs about. Cause those are the two most important things mm-hmm. to me. Uh, you know, and so, so it's been hard for me to write songs about almost anything else. Mm-hmm. It's been hard for me to write songs about other stuff because it just didn't, the stakes didn't seem high enough. Yeah. And, and I also will own that as a, as a personality quirk, because there are a lot of tremendous songwriters, some of my favorite songwriters, 
um, who managed to be so prolific, which I am not re- remotely, um, but managed to be. And I'm thinking of people like Paul Simon. I'm thinking of people like I'm James Taylor. He 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 played a lot of other people's music too, but um, Paul McCartney. I, you you think about they they'll write a, a song about anything. Yeah, about anything. It, the, the stakes are not high for them. Anything right. is worth a song. Is worth yeah. a little melody and a little bit of a little lyric and. And I, that's just not the way I ex- have experienced it. And so it's been hard for me to write about anything that wasn't life or death. Yeah. Um, and that's, and so that's part of why I'm stuck on it, I think. Cause even now I don't identify myself with it and I don't, um, and, and yet I'm still thinking a lot about it. I still talk to my wife about it, my friends about it. I, and so I can't stop writing about it. Hmm. And, and do you feel that way? Like when you write music, do, do you manage to, to write things that you feel like really have nothing to do with it? Or does everything now have to do with it in a really beautiful way? And so maybe you'll never get free of it. It's interesting because I, I like believe that everything is worth a song. <laughs> and yes. I, I'm pretty prolific. I can write a lot of songs. You but I, like really, you are, yeah. I really relate to what you're saying as far as the stakes thing, like feeling feeling like yeah i could write about this <laughs> passing circumstance in my life yeah. yeah but there's also this tremendous question mark of what the hell is happening <laughs> on the largest scale possible right and how can we not talk about that right how can i not uh yeah. and it feels for me there's also been I've always just been extremely devout. Like uh, as a kid, I just remember feeling like, does anybody love Jesus as much as me? Yeah. (laughs) yeah, Really thinking that like, I just love God so much. And there's been something always Mm -hmm. about, um, just intuitive to me about like all the stuff that I love the most, this circle, this relationship, this person, this circle, it's coming from somewhere. What I love about that person is from the deepest essence of life is from Mm -hmm. God. I wouldn't have been able to say that in words all the time, but it's like, I could write a love song to your hand or I could write a love song to you. And it's like the deepest, uh, the deepest essence of what, what are we talking about when we're talking about falling in love with someone yeah, or falling yeah. in love with the universe? Like, what is yeah. that? What, what yeah. And so that's always been the most compelling thing to write about yep. for me. Um, I also think it's hard to go back because like I mentioned Dave Bazan before, who I'm sure your listeners are, who I'm sure they're familiar with uh, Dave's writing either Pedro the lion or is a solo stuff. And I think once, once you kind of go there, it's really hard to, come back from it. I think, you know, because it, I've not, I, I don't have a lot of friends who, well, you know, come to think of it, I don't have a lot of friends who have this particular story where they've gone for a while and written songs about um, what they, what they believed about God and, 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 you know, whatever made, I'll just say it quickly and say like Christian music or whatever, but although that's a terrible catch all. But um, people who do that and then come back from it and then start to write songs again, like it's hard not to kind of peer back into that room and want to be like, well, I mean, there's, I, like, it's not, but I'm not done thinking about it. It's not like suddenly that whole part of my personality is right. gone. I'm still 
looking up at the heavens or whatever. I still want to know. I'm so <sighs> curious. And the, yeah, I still would feel like that's probably the most important thing I can be running about. You know, it's like, it's a weird thing. It's a weird thing to get. It's a preoccupation that I think yeah. once you taste it and you spend some time with it and you do it for a while, it's hard to back out from it. Um, although Dylan comes to mind. He managed to he managed to do it, but God knows he's been writing songs for sixty years. Yeah, you know, so uh, maybe maybe when we get there, we'll be able to do it. But like, you know, he went his first what thirty years um, without doing it, did it for a while in terms mm. of writing specifically about Christian evangelical spirituality, and then just kind of found his way out. Uh-oh. And it and and <laughs> may, maybe you maybe you hear it a little flur- a flourish of it here or there. Or you're curious if maybe that's where he's going, but you're not sure. And, um, so he managed to maybe do it. Maybe it can be done just cause Dylan does something doesn't mean it can be done. Um, <laughs> but, uh, I, I, but I always thought about Dylan and, and I would say this about, about anybody. I would say this about anybody that, um, especially at this point in my life, as I consume m- music and art and whatever is that, um, whenever folks would find out I was a Dylan fan and they would ask me, especially during a certain number of years where, um, I think there, there was an expectation that we, that, um, that we had Christianity in common. And so they would hear that I like Dylan and say, Oh, like, do you, do you love like, you know, saved and, and, and shot of love and, you know, kind of, he, he's got kind of his, a, a period where he made what are kind of referred to as his Christian records. And, and they are actually very Christian, uh, some of those records. And it's only two or three or four of them, but they'd say, Oh, don't you love those records? And, and I would say, well, yeah, I mean, I do. I, I love, I listen to all Dylan's records. I think that there's genius all over most of it, all of it. But I am actually less interested in hearing Bob Dylan sing to me about Christianity than I am interested in hearing a Christian Bob Dylan sing to me about everything else. Mm. And like, that's always what I've been looking for. Yeah. And, and I think what, unfortunately, Christian art doesn't always do a great job of is like, they love Christian artists love making art about the grid through which they're living. They <laughs> yeah, describe yeah. the grid. Right. I would love, and it kind of feels like maybe it started this way. Not 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 in the not with the Jesus people, but like in the the heyday in like the eighties or the nineties when it was like sweet love songs or songs about everything, and then with like a bridge that kind of brought it around to being about. We're sure that it's about God though, and then but it was just kind of like. Christian artists were just kind of making art that was kind of like what it was kind of the, maybe the Christian version of what was being made in the, in the, in the mainstream. But, um, but it felt like it was more, um, people being Christian and describing the world instead mm. of describing the grid of Christianity, Christianity, which <laughs> we're looking at the world. Yeah, That's yeah. much less interesting to me. Yeah. Um, I don't really know. I guess people do get something out of that, but I personally haven't really over the years. Yeah. So, so anyway, That's fascinating. Yeah, it makes me want to, just even like as a songwriter, it makes me want to do, I would love to do a project that's more like a, like a Zen poetry, like just write a song about this desk. Yeah, honestly. (laughs) You know, like that would be fun. Honestly. Yeah. And I think it takes some real um, freedom. Like it it takes like a real true experience of, artistic freedom to do that. And I don't think I have it, but I don't think it's anybody's fault but my own. I, th- I think it's an internal structure that I've created. It's like the, 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 um, the structure of my own personality through which I'm also looking 
that I'm not sure I can, I don't know. It's, it would take some real deeper work for me to dismantle some of that. And it might dismantle things I like too at this point. So it's like, I don't know how interested I am mm. in trying to do it, but, um, <laughs> that there is, it would, it would take getting really truly free of the preoccupation about all these things to yeah. be able to like literally say, like you're saying, like, like, look at that piece of wood. Yeah. Like there's a whole song there. Look at For all sure. the, it's beautiful. The way it's making me feel right now. I just want to talk about it. Yeah. I'm going to spend two, three, four, five minutes just talking about how I feel right now. And there's a handful of things contributing to it. It's some, this piece of wood, it's some, the light that's on the wood. It's the room I'm in. It's the way it smells, the temperature in the room. And it's like, I, yeah, I don't know if I could do it. Um, <laughs> but I think those who can should, you know? Yeah. So anyway. Well, if we ever write a song together, we should do that. We should write we should about try. the most mundane shit we can find. Yeah, exactly. And, and we should really build it up. And be like, all right, I don't know if any old Cavemans fan, any of my fans from the last few decades, Gunger fans, man, I don't know where you came in, but we finally collaborated on a thing. We've got a song. We've got this one song. We only need four minutes. And it's called iPhone 10. And it's going to be worth every bit. It was about the half hour we spent together uh, on FaceTime waiting to pre-order the new iPhone. Uh, we were both on our computers. It just happened to be the half hour we had. And so we're like, you know what? We're going to write about whatever is right in front of us. We're just going to do it. We're going to do it. We're not going to be preoccupied about it. And we wrote about the pre-order experience. It was, it was, um, it was frustrating, <laughs> but ultimately yeah. satisfying. We're going to write about it. I think this is great. I, I think, think it's we a great should idea. absolutely do it. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Everyone would expect something. Yeah. Very different. It would be just Based like, on... it'd be just like the music that, uh, Buddy the Elf was spontaneously <laughs> creating in Elf. When, when he, when his, when his unbeknownst father thought he was like uh, an elf candy gram and he came in and he wanted him to sing a song. He's like, I'm in the office and I'm my dad and I'm singing. It's like, it's like that would, that would be what we would do. And then the live performances that we would then inevitably do together, we would get into a room together. We would spontaneously agree upon a key. We would strum a chord and, and we would begin where it's it's Michael and Derek and there's a there's people and we feel happy about it and we're in G and it would be we could just yeah be like the I'm new glad uh, my shoes are tied right yes, now yes yeah um I don't know how to tell Michael that I'm not crazy about what he said to me before we came out but I don't want to cause a stir it's like it could be yeah. really it could be beautiful and it, it might could, be it probably would be it could be it could be awful but. I bet it'd be beautiful. But there'd be something liberating about it. Maybe that's the point we're trying to make. There'd be yeah. something. There'd be something freeing about it. Yeah, because it does feel. Because uh, that's music for God's sake. I mean, I know we're joking, but it would be. It actually would be art. I mean, I'm not trying to. <laughs> it would be uh, totally. And there's something. Why are we preoccupied with the grandest thing? Is it because I'm, I'll speak for me? Like, is there an aspect of my personality that feels like my music has to be so important? Exactly and, right. And and so special. I feel that way too. That I couldn't write about something that's not the most grand and special yeah. thing to talk yeah. about. And do you ever feel like when you're writing that um like I'll I'll have moments where if I'm working on something, I'll think, Oh, you know what, this wouldn't I, I'm it's I'm even categorizing it before it's coming out of my physical body. I'll be like, you know what? I don't think this this is this is cool. I like this, but this isn't something for like one of my commercial releases. I think this is going to be a thing for a side project or it's a thing that I could do this yeah. with or yeah. or I'll be doing a thing with a friend and be like, you know, actually I'm going to I'm going to pull 
I'm going to pull that aside. I'm going to put that in a different note because that's, that's too good to be, I'm going to, that's for sure needs to be in a, in a more important song. That's going to be in a more important, uh, more strategic release that I'm going to do someday. And it's like, why do, why, why do we think that just cause I poured over something and just because I, I like, why, why is that better necessarily than me singing about exactly what's happening in front of me? And, and I'm not saying that that, that the, the more literal thing isn't more interesting. Maybe I just need to stop joking about it and thinking it's, thinking it's less interesting and actually try to make some ob- observations that are beyond here's me and Michael in a room and there's people and we're happy about it. It's like, there probably is a lot more going on to observe uh, that would be worth our time to sing about, but I'm too preoccupied with it having to be something I've poured over and that makes people think that I'm smart or poetic or it's got, it's my ego gets wrapped up in it. So it's gotta be, it's like the detachment of the ego from the thing mm-hmm. maybe could, could help do it. But anyway, I have no idea how we got talking about this, but I, yeah, you know, it'd be cool that I haven't heard of much of like, some sort of artistic um, collaboration or even like mentorship or where like one thing I miss about being on a label is the A&R of yeah. like, yes, man, do this, try something try like this. this. We need a radio hit. That sounds like somebody. And w- when I do composition work, you have that very specific, we need this kind of thing with this sound. It needs to be about this lyrically. Yeah. And I can do that quick. Yes. It'd be really interesting to have assignments like that. Like write about a grasshopper. Honestly though. <laughs> right? But, but it really could be. It really would be like a like a um I don't know how to how to how to categorize it, but it would be something it would be more like I mean speaking of patronage, but it would be like it's it, it's something that kind of plucked out of time, like a an institution coming and saying for the common good, I, I we I want some yeah. art that's about yes. this. And would you go and make it and I'll pay you to do it. And I'm not going to pay you more or less depending on how much it sells. And, and, but here's what, and here's what I want and, or here's what I think would be interesting and go see if you can make that. And then, then you show up and you, and you chip away at it until it's made. And uh, I love that sort of thing. I love the guardrails. I love the limitations. Um, that that's always for me, the most interesting, um, that's where all the creativity is, is how do you work your way out of a situation where you don't you, you, you run out of knowledge. And so it's like, that's how I learned how to record. That's how I learned how to produce. That's how I learned how to do all that stuff is like, Oh, well, I've only got four mics and they just, they're not that versatile. So it's, I'm going to have to figure out a creative way to get the sound that I'm looking for or to find a sample of a thing I'm looking for. All of that is hitting guardrails and kind of like a pinball bouncing your way into a, like falling down a Plinko board and winding up in a certain spot. What's interesting about it is what it says about all the things you didn't know how to do and you had to figure out. And that's, that's why I think it can be really hard. And it can be hard for me when, when now we, you can make music, like not only you can make it and it can go anywhere. And like you said, there, there isn't really a and R or the labels don't play the kind of role they used to play. They, they're not kind of keeping the gates the way that they used to. Um, and you, you weren't subject to their, um, guidance or opinions or approval or whatever the way. And now anybody can go straight to the market. You can pull your phone out or whatever. You can make a recording, you can put it out and everybody can hear it. And it's like, I feel like it's, it makes for just less interesting art on the whole. And and only because it's not, there's no friction. It's Hmm. not, it's not me. It's not being met with. That's what makes great stories. It's like, nobody cares about a, about a, a character that, that, 
um, doesn't have uh, a roadblock. I mean, right. that, it's, it's the yeah. basic storytelling. So if this yeah, God is never the the protagonist and a <laughs> an all powerful being that can just do whatever. He how wants. could like, he possibly? Yeah, there's no, um, no story to tell. But that's why theologies and and uh, uh, narr- spiritual narratives that do try to bring back some of even in a in a anthropomorphic way try to bring back some of the friction and limitation tend to be the ones that are the most interesting hmm. and like the ones where it's like but what what if god doesn't know everything what yeah, if that is what, what, yeah. what if the bible is not inerrant what if what if the things that you thought are not which is kind of jesus saying well you've heard it said but i say unto you it's like mm-hmm. what if it's not that way and what mm. if god can't you know whatever comes after that phrase i'm gonna i want to hear and i, I want to <laughs> talk about and so i think that's what but it's a dangerous line of line of conversation it can be especially if your living is tied up in it yeah you know so anyways but that's so fun fascinating. Um, yeah super fun. yeah i just had the, speaking of the limitations thing i just had an experience with that because my my main studio computer went down and yeah. i had i have all my samples on that stuff and I, we were releasing a christmas song and we had to have it done <clears throat> to have it out in time for Christmas. Yeah. And it was a whole orchestrated thing. I had all the orchestration done and I was using a bunch wow. of samples and I was going to add some real instruments to it to kind of round it up. But it was going to be a, like a large orchestrated sound, Christmas yeah. song. Yeah. Um, and I was like, my computer went down. Oh, no. And I was like, what am I going to do? I have a laptop that I could just like record my guitar into with a channel, but I don't have all my shit. I don't have all the... And I was like, I don't know what to do. So I figured out, I found this little bow, like this little acoustic bow on Instagram. Uh, <laughs> this is like a violin bow. And so I'm like, well, I'll just what? play this, play the string parts myself on my guitar. <laughs> so I like um, played all the string parts believe. on my acoustic and wow. it's kind of a cool thing. It'll come out in December, but it's like, that's what I and never now- would have done that. And now I absolutely cannot wait to hear it. I mean, what I'm saying is it's such a great story and yeah. stories are the way that's how we, that's the connective tissue that brings us to stuff. And like, that's a great story. I want to hear it. And it's like when I heard about, um, uh, uh, when I think of orchestration and complexity and stuff, you, you think you can't imagine how it gets made. Um, uh, Supion Stevens, the, his Illinois record, um, kind of famously now was made on like a Roland V880 Really? Do you not know this? No. Oh man. So there was a whole tape op interview with him and they had all these questions for him about how he made all this stuff. They make it sound like this because the yeah. stuff. And he said that he had this Roland eight digital eight track. It's really kind of a piece what? of crap. Yeah. I had one. I had one in high school yeah. and that's what he had. That's what, what he had. And he literally, he not only recorded, but mixed Illinois no. on a Roland V880. That's crazy. Crazy. It's crazy. And it makes you immediately want to go back and listen to it again. Yeah. You're like, there's no way I feel like I'd be able to hear that. But, um, and so it's like those what? limitations. Exactly. That's what makes it fascinating. Mixed. Does it have like, it has well, mixing effects on it? I remember it having effects. I, I mean, that's a generous term for what I remember it having. <laughs> but like, like compression. Does it have compression? Right. I don't know. But what? that's what, yeah. Yeah. 
It's a, yeah, you should Google it. Uh, wow. it's, it's great tape off interview. And it's exactly what the, cause I'm sure you've read tape off and these are, these, these, these dudes are very hardcore about recording and about, especially like guerrilla style kind of recording and like yeah. really innovating and wow. stuff. And when he brought that up, it's like, I mean, th- th- these tape off interviews are like, there's no pictures. They're all text and they're pages and pages long. They're great. It's like long form before long form. And they literally, could they 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 couldn't even figure out how to use the punctuation to communicate how totally stunned and and incensed and, and fascinated they were like it was like all weird caps and punctuation they were trying to communicate how their minds were blown they were like wait hold on he was like yeah They're like no but but you don't mean that you no i did and it was like all this hysterical back and forth of him persuading wow. them that that's really what happened anyway the point that's is insane. it makes me want to hear your Christmas song. It makes every it makes you want to go back and listen to uh to Illinois. You know, Damien Rice, there's this great story of him writing this song, Cheers, Darling. Um, he was traveling all over Europe and he had a little a little recording gear like in his backpack, and he'd been at this bar and and he'd been there all night and he'd met this this woman, this really lovely woman, and they had this amazing night. He'd been drinking and he was literally fall, feeling like he was falling in love with this person. They had this really earth shattering. And then right before she left, she revealed that she was either engaged or married and left. And he was like, well, that's, and he was just crushed and heartbroken. It all happened in one night. He came back to the flat where he was staying with friends where he was traveling, sat on their kitchen floor in the dark as the story, I've, as I've heard it, got his guitar out, got his recording gear out, still drunk, still what? tears dried on his faces from that experience, wrote and recorded that song right there in the dark on the kitchen floor. Uh, and Wait, what song? Cheers, darling. Oh wow! Um, it's on uh, that one record of his that was got. Oh, or is that wait. My, my, when my wife is yelling it out, what is it? Yeah. Oh, yes, it is. It yeah. is. Oh, yep. Thanks, baby. Um, and it's one of those. And a lot of those stories on that record had that kind of. Uh, the songs had that kind of story, but it's like when I heard that. I was like, oh my God, it's like an actual document yeah, of the feeling. Wow. It's not just I'm going to try to make you hear how it felt to me at the time. It's like, oh no, you're going to, like if, 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 it, if you could smell it, you'd smell the bourbon on my breath when I was right. singing. Like wow. it's the real thing. And uh, it's really inspiring. It was really inspiring to me. Yeah. yeah that's you know, so that cool. sort of thing. Anyway. Beautiful. I love the rabbit trail one. I don't know where. I, I don't know how we got here, but I like we're it. We're going or where you hoped we would go. Yeah. But here's where we go. That's great. Um, okay. So. What about where you're at now? What what are you, um, all this journeying and, and and your thoughts about making art and stuff? What's what's happening now for you? Yeah, I appreciate you asking, and I I think I can say it pretty succinctly. I I better considering that we've the time we've already burned down all these rabbit trails. But um, um, so where I'm at broadly is, and I'm going to get specific, but broadly, I think I'm just kind of done with the idea for now of beliefs. I just don't, it's a word that carries so much connotation and weight. And it's like, it carries a lot of conclusion confirmation bias with it. At least that's what I do with it. So th- yeah. maybe this is just my personal thing and, and everybody can do it their way. It's and not. they will. <laughs> um, it's not okay. But, um, but so the word belief, I just don't, I don't like it. And so people, cause, cause people will ask you with a certain expectation. So what do you believe? Like, or what are what do you believe about this? And I'm like, you know what? I don't, I don't, Um, I don't think it just doesn't sound, it doesn't seem wise to me considering the cost and the, of, of the deconstruction, as they say, again, uh, any word that 10 people have 10 different definitions for stop using the word immediately because it means nothing. And the word deconstruction falls squarely, uh, in that category, but it's like people who are going, like when I went through kind of my audit of all the, 
realities that I depended on for the way things worked in the universe um, that resulted in my no longer believing, there's the word, uh, any of that anymore about, you know, six, seven, eight years ago, it was arduous and it was painful and it was costly and it was exhausting. And it was because I'd built all this for 30 plus years of my life. I had constructed all this Mm -hmm. and I'd been kind of tinkering with it like a Harley for all these years or like a precariously tall building from a Dr. Seuss book or something, you know, I'd been making this thing and, and I finally kind of deconstructed all of it. And suddenly it felt like it was, and then I thought, you know, like, and then people start talking about reconstruction and they're like, all right, now you can, now you start reconstructing. That's the expectation. And I was thinking like, but doesn't that just, isn't that just going to lead to more deconstructing? Like mm-hmm. I'm going to, if I'm going to read and then I'm a D and re and D again. Mm-hmm. And I thought like, I think the answer could be stop constructing. For God's sake, stop. Like, don't stop believing. Don't construct anymore. And so my the, the, the language that I came up with that I liked was rather than believe stuff, what I'm going to do is I'm going to hypothesize about stuff. I'm, I'm, an, I'm, I like, I, I'm mm. a very hyper-analytical, detail-rational type yeah. brain. I'm a, I'm a raging Enneagram 5. And so I really like information and data. And so I was like, I'm going to hypothesize. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to scientific method this. And I'm going to say... I'm going to have theories and hypotheses. I'm going to test them in real time. And if they stick around, they stick around. And just because it's been with me for 20 years, it's still a hypothesis, it's not a law. It's a, the- it's a theory. And so if I get contrary information or experience, I'm going to chip away at it and I could lose it. Yeah. But I'm going to bring with me the things that continue to stick around. I'm going to test it all, all the time in real time. And that, and that feels like more intellectually honest to me than to build a thing and then just get in it and live in it and stop looking at it and stop thinking about it, which I think happens with language and happens with worldview kind of construction. And um, so that's my thing. And the product of that is the record I'm working on right now, which is called the Jesus Hypothesis. Hmm. Um, and so I am trying to um, go at um, the the what I have in my head in terms of the way I look at the world and I thought I kind of did it. I thought, I mean, I, I already said, I said the word, I said deconstruction. I kind of did it. I chipped away at it. I, 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 I pulled it all apart and I thought, wow, well that's done. And, you know, um, but it turns out like what I, what I took a, you know, a hammer or a hatchet to, I feel like I now need to take a scalpel to, because it turns out it's, it's not enough hmm. to just pull down a big idea I still, when I go back to, when my friends and I inevitably talk about spirituality and even Christianity, evangelical Christianity even, I have a, a gear I get into and I go right back. I go right back. And, and my friends will, like, they kind of make fun of me about it because it's like all of a sudden I'm defending the castle again. Mm. And, I'm, and Even though I don't have a dog in the fight, at least I, I say I don't. But And so I thought, you know what, I, I need to try and go further and really get crafty and 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 specific with pulling apart when i say god when i say jesus when i say bible when i say like i have a every one of those words has a drop menu with a thousand words and i've put all those words there i need to go through and try to get all those words out of the way so i can just look at all these things and just determine if any of it has any thing if it's meaningful to me and if it's worth going on with or bringing with me um and so that's what I'm thinking about. And it has a lot to do with pulling apart the intricacies of reformed theological machinery, which is a lot of the theology I carried with me for a lot of years. Mm-hmm. And I'm really pulling that stuff apart. And so I'm, and, and it's, and it's, it's proving more vulnerable, vulnerable than I'd anticipated, but 
that's the process I'm in now. And, and I'm, um, I'm writing the record now. It'll probably come out sometime next year. I'm doing it with my patrons. Um, lovely to see you having your patrons hanging for this and with a lot of what you're doing. And so I'm like literally live streaming all the songwriting, all the recording. So I got wow. cameras up in my studio. I'm, I'm maybe, I don't know how many hours. I'm probably at least 20 or 25 hours in at this point, but I've got almost 20 live stream writing sessions. I'm just starting the recording and oh, I'm cool. demoing and releasing the songs I, as I write them. And I'm literally sitting here with my instruments and on camera and just commentating my way through the whole thought process. And I started with zero songs. I've got eight now and um, I'm going to keep writing till I feel like I'm done. And I'm going to be re- uh, recording uh, with my old pal, Josh Moore, who I made the Stockholm syndrome record with and a bunch of other records. He was in Cadman's with me, total genius, great, tremendous musician. And so, and I'm going to just do all of it in real time live. Um, cool. So, so the people who are hanging with me are going to know before I know uh, where I'm at and what it looks like. Cause I have no objectivity. I'm going to be too busy trying yeah. to, they're going to be seeing it. Wow. And I like that. It feels honest. It feels um, worth what they're giving and what we're bringing to it. Yeah. That's fun. So, Ooh, I really anyway, like so that, that's, that's what I'm at. That's what I'm doing. That's amazing. Yeah. Going back to the belief thing that you were talking about. I, it's something that I regularly talk about as well. And yeah. it's interesting as a fellow Enneagram five, I wonder, Oh, is that right? Yeah. I don't know if I knew that about you. Fast. Yeah. <laughs> okay, um, but yet alone our, our similar paths musically and stuff. I, I, what is our baggage? Cause I know people who don't believe, don't like they, they don't have the same baggage with the word belief that I have. And I don't know how much of it is hmm. how many interviews I've had where they're like, what do you believe about? And, and the, the fallout in my life because of my beliefs and well, the word's been weaponized against you. Yeah. Publicly. Uh, yeah. So I'm sure that, is at least a significant part of it. But mm-hmm. I've al- I also heard, um, I, I just, the way that we use the word belief, I, I get that we all have to make assumptions about the world yes. to operate in the world. I have, I have to believe that my car is going to, you know, continue running while I'm driving on the freeway. I have to believe that it's going to be a reliable car to mm-hmm. keep going, but we don't usually, usually use the word belief in really tangible, practical assumptions about life. We don't mm. say, do you believe that oxygen is still in the air to take this next breath? You don't, you don't use the word like that. We use mm-hmm. the word generally um, to clamp down on things that really aren't true. Let's be honest. Yeah. <laughs> you know, well, yeah. I don't know about that, but I believe, I, I don't mm-hmm. care what the evidence says. I believe uh, that's kind of how we use the word. It's like a way to subvert logic to our benefit. Yeah. You know, it's like a way to kind of have our cake and eat it too a little bit to say, well, I know it all looks like, and, and, and that's actually like, especially when it's used in desperate uh, moments where it's like, I know it looks like that all the, you know, everybody's against us and everybody, but I believe though that we're going to, and yeah. sometimes, it's, sometimes it's a great thing. You think about, uh, it's aspirational and it's, mm-hmm. and, and you think about, uh, Martin Luther King and his moments of, of corporate belief and declaring defiantly declaring belief in something not yet seen, but yeah. sought after. And it's like, so it can be used for, for good or evil maybe, but, but it, the point is that it's, it's being used. And if you don't know how it's being used, then you need to be careful using it. 
um, if you don't know what people are hearing when, um, you know, and, and what's interesting is what you're saying before about the car and about the oxygen. It's like, really though, you could, you, I don't know that it's required that you believe that your car will continue working for it to continue working. Um, it will continue working. What it does is it keeps your kind of existential dread about understanding. I don't understand airplanes. I tell my kids this all the time. It makes no sense. Every time I see one, I'm like, that makes no sense. I know, there's, no sense. I know there's physics. <laughs> I, know. I know. But you'll never. Still, that, that that's a giant sense. metal. That's a you know piece of metal. You know how heavy that is? And it, goes, <laughs> and it goes off the ground? Yeah. There's no way that thing is. It makes no sense that it's in the air. Radio waves. Makes no sense. <laughs> no sense. They're traveling all the time. And if I put an antenna up, it'll grab it and it's sound. It comes yeah, out of a ridiculous. That, dude, that, make, that shit makes no sense to me. And I don't believe it. I honestly, I, I, there, I, I don't believe in radio waves. I don't believe in airplanes. I don't. And yeah. yet here they are. So there are things that are operating anyway. So maybe it's not that important of a word, but I do, I, I, mm-hmm. I do think it helps us though. It helps us to say, um, uh, that, that although I don't understand how this works, I, I am, I'm going with the presumption that it's going to. My life depends on it. Or but maybe going with the assumption is the belief because you okay, believe yep. in it enough to turn on the radio. You do believe in radio waves. You believe in right. it enough to get in the Because if you didn't believe it would work, you wouldn't turn your radio on because you're like, well, that, what point would there be? I don't believe it's going to happen. Watch this. I'm going to turn it on. I, right. I must have believed it because it, was, it compelled the action. Yeah. You know, anyway, that's fascinating. You're right about that, actually. Yeah. That's but good. then it's but then it's again in those situations we don't usually use the word belief. So it's no. kind of a word game. But I it, it is. But I words do, matter, you know. I do think there's something about maybe it's Enneagram fives, maybe it's our particular trauma. There's something about going no beliefs that for me is tremendously freeing. Because then when I uh even with radio waves, it's like, am I gonna believe in radio waves? No, I'm gonna make an assumption enough about radio waves to uh turn on the radio. Yes. But if some new science comes out about what radio waves are and I'm like, but I believe radio waves are right. like, I'm going to have beliefs about radio. Or if waves. they just stop working for no reason or for, then I'm not going to go on believing <laughs> even in their absence, yeah. <laughs> ironically, which is what a, a lot of people seem to do, you know, about uh, other things that are invisible and knowable. Like you know, <laughs> it, it's like we go on believing even in, even with no answer, even with no, no, no vision, even with no, with no, even with, even in absence, we go on believing it just cause we believe it. And so I think you're right about that. I think it's like, well, like I will believe it. And that's why I like the no more beliefs, but, but, and why I personally really like the, because it, it matches my personality, but, but the hypothesizing, I have a yeah. hypothesis that when I turn my radio on, my car will catch the radio waves yeah. and sound. So I'm going to, so I'm going to test it. I'm, I'm going to go on testing it always. Every time always. I turn the radio on, it's a test of that hypothesis. Yeah. And, and one day I might uh, receive information that causes me to disbelieve that that's true. Um, if I turn it on, it doesn't work anymore. It's like, well, I guess that wasn't a thing. It worked for a while. We don't know why it doesn't anymore. We don't know why all I know is it's not working now. And so I don't believe it. And I think there is something kind of liberating about saying, you know what, I'm going to bring, I'm not going to plant a flag. And then my whole identity is my, is, uh, my current position in proximity to where that flag was planted. No, no, no. I'm bringing all of it with me all the time. I'm yeah. carrying it with me. Uh, you know, the, the, yeah. Anyway. So it's interesting. And it has been very helpful for me too, the, to loot, to shed the idea and the language of belief. Oh, it's been liberating. Yeah, it really has. So it's, it's good to hear that. I, I told this 
I've told this story a bunch of times, but there's when I stopped believing in God, there was this, uh, and I even say that like, I didn't have a concept of God for years. Yeah. I didn't have when I'd say God, it wasn't, that was a signifier without really a signified. It just was kind of like God mystery, right. like yeah. infinite. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but even that until I intentionally let go of my belief in God in 2012, mm. um, I still was caught up in this, this mental loop of God, forgive me of shame mm. of like, even I didn't believe that I needed that. I did. I didn't believe that God was going to send me to hell anymore, uh, for not believing in him. Mm. Uh, all those that would have put in quotes and would have been like, that's not true. But I still get me quiet. And I'm like, father, forgive me for my sins. Like it was this constant in my head. Mm. And until I was like, no, I'm going to choose to not believe in God. Um, then the loop stopped and it was tremendously freeing. It was actually strangely, it felt like the most devout, faithful act of faith. <laughs> Well, that's exactly what I was going to say. That's what it sounds like to me. Yeah. You were stepping out. I mean, you yeah. were stepping out. You were you were risking. It's it was there was real risk to it, and you took it. And so yeah. it does. It and it was fa- it was faithfulness to what it was faithfulness to the mystery that I was using to speak of as God. It was faithful yeah. to life. It was that yeah. was, that was that was prodding me forward. I wasn't yeah. holding back from that life anymore. I was no, I jumping in. Yeah, and. uh so that's why I'm always, I love just at this point, I, I don't really care too much about where, what signifiers people use to talk yes. about life. Um, but it, but it thrills me when they're making, when they're jumping into something. So yeah. if it, I think you hearing how you're pulling back from belief, I also have a different friend who came from a, um, no belief background mm. and they're fine playing with belief and being like, yeah. I'm a, uh, um, what do they call them? Confessional, confessional Christian. Yes. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, sure, sure. Where they're like, and they, they kind of don't really, they wouldn't believe in the way that I used to believe. They're not holding right. on to it, but they're happy saying like, we believe. Yeah. Well, and there's, whatever. there's different connotation that you might bring to it. So that allows them that real estate on which to do that. And yeah. And that's exciting. You know. If they're, if they feel like they're just diving into something of life, that's scary and fun and exciting yeah. and adventurous. Great. Yeah. Try it. See how beautiful. it feels. I mean, try it on, see how it feels. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and, uh, that's, and yeah, I totally agree with you. And, and I, and I, I think that the further out you zoom, I think that there it, it's, um, it, what's great is, um, and this is why I'm so thrilled about new music you're making and, um, and, and how, and how really essential that I think it is, is because it's not really until people get, there's something compelling to me about, um, the idea of you knowing the language the way you do and, and yet, um, uh, detaching from the connotation of the language, the way you've been able to, and then to be able to then play with the language again. Yeah. Um, because there's, because there's no reverence, especially for it. So you can use it and you can try it. That's what I'm kind of playing with a little bit. And I'm finding it personally fascinating. I'm just like, Oh, I can't, I can't say that like that. That would be either extremely, and I'm not doing it to be intentionally provocative or offensive, but I'm like, 
this is language I like. This I think communicates. This I think is a, is a good metaphor to build a bridge between what I'm feeling and, and somebody who would be listening. So I'm going to use it, but I'm also, it's like, it's fun to intentionally play with it. And I can, um, use that language in a way that I, I was not able to for many years. And it's, and it's a fascinating, I, I will be very fascinated. Um, I think anybody should be uh, very fascinated to hear, you know, the, the further that, that you get from, uh, or the further, the, 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 the freer you feel w- with your ability, the, li- the liberation with which you can use those words and you can re-employ those words. Um, I will be fascinated to hear some of those words pop back up in the way that you might try them out mm. and to see how they feel for you and to try to like, maybe this is, uh, you know, maybe this could mean this. And so I'm going to, I'm going to, yeah. I'm going to say it like that and see how that feels. And you're going to feel that it's not what I had the way I used to say it. And it definitely is not probably the way that you use it, but I'm going to use it this way. And I'm going to see if I can maybe bring that back in. I'm not going full like reclaiming or anything, but I'm just saying it's, it's interesting. It's interesting. It's compelling to, um, to hear somebody start to play with the language in that way again. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. We did that this last whole season of the podcast. Actually, we, we looked at mm-hmm. Christianity through a non-dualistic lens Yeah. and like, what would these, what would these words even mean if we didn't assume that reality at its heart was this two realities of like yeah. creation and creator, yeah. but just reality is reality. Yeah. Um, what, what then do these, if we look at these words and, and practices as technologies, right? Like what, what use would they have? Oh, yeah, exactly. Innovations. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. and it was fascinating. It wasn't everybody's cup of tea, but it was fun. Yeah. I mean, it's, well, I, 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 I need to go and fall all the way down that particular rabbit hole though. Cause that, that sounds fascinating to me, but it's especially interesting. Maybe the point is like to use them for people, uh, with people and for and in front of people who you, you know, probably what their connotation with the words are, but they're not yours anymore. Right. So to use them intentionally to kind of, um, um, you know, to provoke a little bit and uh, to kind of disrupt and to kind of shift people around. It's like, it's a good, those are great tools for communicators, for writers. And yeah. yeah. Well, and one thing we noticed, uh, well, as as the conversations that led up to the season was like, the words are so in the culture already. It's on our money and God, we trust. It's like everywhere, regardless of whether, what you believe or if you're a Christian or whatever. Um, but it, that's true. It's everywhere. And, um, so, so it felt like examining the language was worth it. And I don't think, I really don't believe that the connotation that we're using as a society in America in 2021 is the same connotation that the people that wrote those words had. No, it's not. So it's like, not, not remotely. Yeah. So it's, <laughs> so in what like, are, in, yeah. Yeah. So it's worth like tearing it apart and exploring. Yeah. It's um, not only worth it, but it's, it's essential that we do it. I it's think. essential for our, Yes, I agree. Yeah, we have to. Um, so where are you at with your uh, hypothesis? Is is the exploration that you're doing with that mostly artistic as far as the music? Or are you still, are, you are um, intellectually, philosophically, spiritually in a hypothesis zone with Jesus? Yeah, too? Where are you I at? am. Yeah. I'm, I'm fighting to remain in, in, the, in the, the, the posture of hypothesis, even myself personally, intellectually, spiritually, whatever. And a lot of it, at least what I'm finding helpful is, um, I've really gotten into, uh, 
folks like John Shelby Spong, mm-hmm. who was a great Episcopal bishop who wrote the Jesus for the non-religious. And he, you know, he's a guy who, who didn't believe in miracles in a God who does miracles, who suspends the natural law of the universe. He doesn't, he didn't believe in any of that. And he had other explanations for why those stories are there, what they meant, how they were written, why they were written, the Messiah narrative that had been potentially laid on Jesus decades and, you know, uh, many, many, many decades after, you know, um, he was here or whatever, uh, the, the, per- the, the human person who I think it's a little inarguable that, that he was a guy, he was here at one point. Um, but, it, but, and I'm liking it. And I'm liking that a guy like that, that people, writers like Spong and maybe Borg and some of these guys, like, I like that they create the sandbox that you can kind of get into and, and go back to it and think, all right, well, let me try it like this. Let me see if I can make sense of it like this. But at the end of it, I'm still left with a, well, but if, so if that's the case and I'm cool with it, maybe Jesus was just in some, um, trajectory of people who appear over time as clearly significant and tapped into something and have some view or voice to something. People like, you know, the, 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 the great founders and prophets of, of any major world religion, the, uh, all the way down to people like Martin Luther King again, or Mother Teresa, or Gandhi, or I mean, name. There's, you know, there have been people who have just had a view of something, and they, and you, you can catch it, and it just they pop up just every so often. You just kind of squint over, you know, history and culture. They just pop up every so often, and maybe he was just in that trajectory, and he was like a guy who just was just at that time in that time and place was especially disruptive in significant enough ways that it. And then, of course, but it was in the time of the Roman Empire, so they kind of maybe made a a, 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 a messiah out of him, um, maybe because I mean, so much of it was created by uh, uh, Roman emperors, but um, a, a, argu- <laughs> arguably a lot of it was uh, constructed. Yeah. But the the point is, I'm left with a if that's the case, and he was just one among many, then how, what what is it? Not what does it matter, but what does it matter? Like like what does is he? Yeah. Do I, do I go on? I mean, like, why, why wouldn't I, why do I focus on him in particular? Um, and, but maybe there's more, maybe there's not, maybe there's reasons to, or maybe it's just for me in this particular season, fixing him, reimagining him based on what I can intuit and, and what I can look at and I can learn and observe. Um, and I can at least entertain and say like, how did, how does this try that on, try this on, see if that makes any sense. Does that ring true? Um, does that, and, uh, maybe just reframing him for myself so that I'm not leaving behind me, um, a very outdated view of a thing that when I shift back into that gear, I fall back into those traps. And that's, I think what I was kind of the point I was making before is like when my friends and I talk about it and Jesus comes up or Christianity comes up or the Bible comes up, I've, I'm, I, it's not a thing that I have very updated, uh, thought about. Hmm. I'm leaning and depending on things that I thought about a long time ago. And I don't like or agree with a lot of that. It's just the information I have. And so I, at least if I'm going to really leave this thing, if I'm really going to walk away or, or just, um, uh, 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 put it in a certain perspective or, or, uh, kind of, um, if I'm going to do that, then I want to make sure that I, it's something that I feel intellectually good about, something that I feel like rings true to me, 
and I want to be able to just catch up with, you know, myself. I don't want to have to always go back into the jukebox of my greatest hits to grab my eschatology yeah, yeah. or whatever. You know, like I, 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 I want to bring it forward. And so if nothing else, it's that. But I'm also trying to remain open to it being more. Um, and just because it's the thing that I most recently left, just because it happens to be the God to whom I am most recently an atheist. Um, but <laughs> what we're all, I mean, there are arguably 10,000 gods before yeah, that yeah. one that I'm, that I am an atheist too. And you know, that's, an, that's another great, uh, I love that yeah. lyric in your, uh, which one was it? Oh, I think it's, the, it's, uh, yeah, we're all atheists. I just go one God further than yeah, you. Yeah. Remember yeah. Remember what we yeah. saying about. Zeus and whatever you say. Yeah, 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 uh, yeah, yeah. We used to sing about uh, Baal and Zeus. Yeah, uh, we, we, yeah. We're all atheists. I just go one God further than you. But it's like, and it's true. And and I've even got a song on the new record that's called "Some Gods Deserve Atheists." Yeah. And and it's like, and I'll probably <laughs> so good, right? And so I'll probably be doing this for the rest of my life. This will be my preoccupation and my my journey. I, I you know I think I'll continue to rightfully become atheist to all false gods in order mm. to hold the spot for any real ones should they should they appear but, it, that, <laughs> but it's like there won't be any they won't be able to get in through the crowd if i'm not actively you know destroying and killing and crucifying all the fake ones you know what i mean yes. and so yeah so it's like it's like yeah so so i i am and 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 strangely and i'm just gonna i'll just throw this in uh, as a parting shot is I, I have recently taken a part-time gig at a church. I heard this. As part of this weird season that I'm in right now. And and um, again, if we were reading the transcript, there would have been an asterisk after the word church, and it would have gone to a footnote that would have been 14 <laughs> paragraphs long about the particular <laughs> church. So it's Grace Point Church here in Nashville. And they are easily the most interesting and progressive and radically loving, welcoming. Everything that you would associate with the average church, they are kind of the inverse in most respects and uh, just a tremendous group of people. And I just look at the fruit on the tree for God's sake. That's what I'm, what is the, what is the point of what you're believing? How does it cause you to behave? That's what matters. Before I hear your pitch, show me the fruit. And that's kind of become my thing. So even with my Christian friends, I'm like, before you give me the pitch, before you tell me what you're believing about the way the world works, I want to see the fruit on the tree. And if whatever you're believing is causing you to behave in ways that are unwelcoming and um, and uh, bigoted and racist and homophobic and unloving and unkind um, it, 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 and oppressive, it, if that's the fruit on that particular tree, I'm just not interested. I don't want to hear about it. However, if the result of whatever you're believing is making you radically, uh, reputation-ruiningly uh, kind and welcoming and loving and accepting and um, uh, all the all these good things, then I don't care what it is. I can't wait to hear about it. I want to hear all about it. Um, I couldn't be more curious. Um, and the fruit on the tree in this particular uh, situation in this in this case is was so compelling to me that I was like, I want to just go and hang out with these people. I want to go. Uh, Josh Scott, who is their pastor, the way he thinks, the way he leads, um, his vision for what they're doing at Grace Point. I was so compelled by it. I was like, dude, I want to get mixed up in it. Like wow. I want to be part of the wind in the, in the sails. Maybe even just because I love the fact that they're doing it as a Christian church. And I love how that inherently is disruptive to anybody. And in, in a restorative way, it'll be good for people who've been particularly hurt and, and, and wounded and, you know, and by the thing that also calls itself that. 
I liked the idea that they were coming in as a church, as Christians, and coming in to just dig the whole thing up and like a bullet through a china shop. Um, and so that's why it's such a tremendous ragtag group of folks doing this together. If you, if you, you know, come to, you know, one of these services. And so i I really have loved it. It's been a, a very unexpected feature of my, of this particular season. And it couldn't be more perfectly situated next to the record I'm making and all that. And it just kind of happened. It goes again, it's like, isn't that just like the Lord, you know, to, um, but it's, uh, all this has just been assembled and I'm just following the coordinates through and, <laughs> and it's been fascinating. I love it. I, I, I love every bit of it. And it's, and so it, it has me um, actively listening and actively pursuing not just what I believe is in front of me, but but even rethinking what could be behind me or things about what could be behind me. And um, and I want to do that. I want to hold yeah. space for that. You know. So yeah, it's been great uh, and weird. Wow. So. Beautiful. Well, thank yeah. you for sharing. I I'm excited. Oh, to I appreciate hear all you this asking. Stuff. Yeah. Yeah. It's, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I can't wait to see we'll what, see. what comes out of all of this. Yeah. Is there anything else you'd like to direct people to? Um, I don't, I don't think so. Okay. I think, uh, I'm just, I'm Derek Webb everywhere. Um, you know, uh, and, uh, but definitely at my website is, is kind of the, the place where folks can, if, if any of that sounded interesting, that's definitely where folks can get connected to kind of what's happening with the, the patron community and the, the new music and some of that. So that's probably the best thing to do. Yeah. Whatever.com. Okay. Thanks, man. Um, yeah. well, so we have pleasure. to do this again, right? I know. It's so fun. <laughs> I love it. Yeah. yeah. I love, I, I, it's I, funny here, like the five thing. Yeah. I'll just give you explicit permission. You, I'm happy if you contact me. <laughs> <laughs> you know, okay. like fives. We, yeah. we're, 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 I feel like we're, we're, we don't want to intrude, right? <laughs> right? I know a lot of fives. Yeah. I know that I really like, and we just really don't talk much. And I think there's right. something about That's that. Amazing. So I'm I giving feel... you explicit permission. Thank that you. For it, that. And and not just permission, but like yeah. expressing it would make me happy to hear yes. from you. So yes, let's reciprocate it. I, and, I, and let's yeah. do this again. I would love to. Yeah. And let's see where those where those coordinates take us. Yeah. Uh, for sure. The only five that I'm in a permanent relationship with is my wife. We're fellow fives in this. Two house. fives married. I've yeah. never heard of such a you thing. You should hear us process through an issue. It is thorough. Ah! It is granular. I mean, we just can process the shit out of stuff. Like we're, <laughs> it's so much fun. And, but she's the only five who I talk to with any regularity. You're yeah. directly right about that. So I will take you up on that. And I really appreciate it. And this has been a pleasure, man. I, man, I cheering you on always. Me um, too. Absolutely. Can, can, I mean, what you do is compelling. Just your, your, your actual life is compelling to me. And I, mean, I love following it. Uh, I'll be listening to whatever you're doing and uh, couldn't, couldn't, couldn't appreciate more getting to spend some time with you. Thanks, man. Same. Yeah. Yeah. I appreciate you.